This is the India Migration Now Extra. Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of India Migration Now Extra. My name is Varun Agarwal. I'm your host today. I'm also the founder of India Migration Now. Since the 1970s, a large number of Bangladeshi migrants have settled in parts of Northeast and East India, specifically Assam and West Bengal. This migration flow has created a lot of tension between the non-Bengali speaking population, especially in Assam, and the Bengali speaking population. It has also been framed as a Hindu-Muslim problem by the central government, especially the one in power today. This immigrant population, many of them without proper documentation, has colored India's approach towards migration deeply. To discuss this problem and potential solutions and avenues to move forward, we have a very eminent guest, Dr. Binod Khadria, on the podcast today. He was formerly, I should say, Professor of Economics and Education at Jawaharlal Nehru University in Delhi. His scholarship on the issue of international migration and development and related policies is wide and deep. I quite enjoyed my conversation with Professor Khadria. I found it very insightful, especially because he is from Assam. I hope you enjoy it too. Hello, Professor Khadria. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Varun. Very, very happy to have you, sir. Your scholarship in the area of international migration goes really far and very deep. Plus, the number of researchers you've produced, you know, real pleasure having you there. I hope they are useful. <laughs> <laughs> right, Professor Kadri. One thing you mentioned, and I'm glad you mentioned that, is often countries are not just sending countries, but also receiving countries. And often receiving countries, well, what are viewed as traditionally uh, receiving countries are, are sending countries. Like Europe was once upon a time before the World War II, where it was a sending country, and now it's become a receiving country the last 20, 30 years. Uh, and I want to focus on India here, where we have a very particular perception of our diaspora abroad, especially the high-skilled migrants. We almost look at them as heroes and something to aspire to. Yeah. Uh, and, and at the same time, we have a very, I would say, neutral perspective about our, our diaspora in, in the Middle East, and unless you're from Kerala. And finally, these perceptions of our immigrants don't yeah. carry over to the perception of immigrants who come into India. And I refer to discourse around Bangladeshi migrants. Yes, yes. Could yes. we tease that, this out, this distension out? That's a very contentious issue, but a contentious, you know, contentious issue because particularly Bangladesh migrants in India, northeast of India is, is having that problem, even West Bengal is having that problem. And that's because of the terrain, the terrain of, of the borders uh, is, uh, you know, there are rivers, there are hills, there are so, you know, uh, migration takes place uh, without border control, practically. Although over the years, there has been monitoring on the borders also. And if we go back into the root causes of this migration, most of which is irregular migration, this happened because uh, of the fact that there was poverty in, in Bangladesh and and then there is not, not enough jobs. And North East, the policymakers and the administrators and politicians not only wanted labor to come in to do the manual kind of jobs that local population would consider as 3D jobs, 
but also, um, you know, because there was no proper count whether they are Indian citizens or not, they enrolled themselves into the voters list and became, say, you know, vote banks, vote banks. So that was the, <coughs> the, the root uh, cause of this uh, problem uh, mounting up over the years. But having said that, I think uh, we need to be innovative in addressing such issues, whether it is in the Northeast, it's Bangladeshi immigration, or anywhere in the world, I think. And that is the question of what are what parts, what aspects of that migration one can handle with what issues. It cannot be one broad brush and then say that these are uh, irregular or even in India they are called illegal immigrants and you can send them back. You can't. You can't wish them away. If they are there for three, four generations, they have grown roots, they have become Indianized in their behavior, in their culture, in all those sorts. And even if they have not, then it is not practical uh, to send them back. But it is practical to to, to regulate, to monitor your borders. So future migration flows needs to be handled, need to be handled in a particular way, which need not be the same as handling the stocks. Stocks of migrants need to be recognized that they have grown their roots here. And that's where the ill effects of such irregular migration needs to be addressed rather than just trying to say that these are the numbers, these numbers have to move out of the country. And when I say that, the problems, the Ill, Ill effects of the of such irregular migration over the years, uh, then this is, you know, one can list them like crime rates, uh, like petty thefts, uh, from petty theft to burglaries to, uh, you know, robberies and so on. And also in terms of health, poor health. Poor health has negative externalities so that if you're surrounding is not healthy, then you have a risk of falling ill yourself. So that's where I think the stock of irregular migrants, which is very large, needs to be, you know, uh, equipped with good health, good education, and bring them into the fold of the normal economy, uh, not parallel economy, so that, you know, what they generate uh, in terms of their products becomes part of the gross domestic product of the uh, of the nation and state domestic products of any particular state. So you provide them banking facilities, you provide all sorts of things that are there and earn their loyalty, you know, because the suspicion is the main thing in migration and that suspicion needs to be taken out. But at the same time, I would say, that borders need to be monitored and controlled by all sovereign states uh, because your resources are limited, you have problems of you know, addressing the local population and so on. So if we need to look at it, then attempts have been made in India. For example, NRC, you know, National Register of Citizens uh, has been, was under the Supreme Court, was implemented in, but what happened? I mean, first of all, the counting itself had loopholes. And then you find that the date itself, 1971, uh, how many decades have passed already uh, that date was fixed. So I think one need to take into account the practicality of implementing radical measures. So it has to be, you know, both a mix of such measures so that future 
irregular migrants receive a warning that this is not going to be easy for them here. But at the same time, those who have become part of the stock of local population for half a century or four or three decades, they need to be handled in a different way in terms of efficiency-oriented uh, measures of uh, welfare state. That is very important. If I may propose something on this issue, you know, be it hypothetically, just focusing first on the flow issue, present flows and future flows from Bangladesh into India. Yes. I, what has stopped us from having an agreement with Bangladesh, like the one we have in Nepal, where we have an open border policy, and you know, according to the agreement in the 50s, we signed with Nepal, the Nepalese government, Indian citizens and Nepalese citizens have equitable rights in each other's country. See, uh, I, I think it is a very sensitive issue. Uh, first of all, the geography of Nepal is stretched over the northern border of India, cutting across several states. Whereas Bangladesh is confined to the corner, northeast corner, which is touching only two states and mostly, you know, not two states, but northeast it has a couple of states, um, but mostly erstwhile Assam and then now you have Tripura and Nagaland and other uh, Meghalaya also, but, and then other than that, you have Bangladesh. Now the terrain is such that, uh, and the culture is such that, that people speak similar languages and then they get into your voters list. They become, they claim, start claiming citizenship rights. They have uh, ration cards, they have voters card, they have, you know, bank accounts. They also can have PAN cards. So unless and until these are streamlined, how do you make a distinction between a uh, citizen and a non-citizen? If I may, Dr. Khadri, on that point, the second point regarding the stock. Yeah. Uh, and I think what I've seen is because the pathway towards citizenship, if you're an immigrant in India, is, and especially even if you're a Nepalese migrant, for instance, is very unclear. In fact, there's, there's, there seems to be no pathway per se like a lot of other countries where you have naturalization policies or residency, permanent residency policies, which say that you know, if you live here 10 years with these, 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 and you follow these, these, these rules and regulations and customs, mm -hmm. you, you, you can get naturalized. It's a pathway. So, and that automatically disciplines, if I can use that word, from the state's perspective, any migrant coming in. You are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Even you gave the example of Nepal, for example. Right. So even uh, Nepalese uh, migrants in India have all those documents. Right. And, and they have more than, than what a citizen normally has because they give them access to lots of services and other things. So, but that does not justify it, you know. It, it's like a, a through the back door, citizenship through the back door. Now you are saying, talking about naturalization process in India, pathway towards that. Of course, in principle, that should be there because um, how do you provide citizenship? In fact, the recent proposal of the government for implementing thing, uh, uh, to bringing a bill which was finally withdrawn, the citizenship amendment bill offering citizenship to irregular migrants living in India for seven years or so from neighboring countries and if they belong to particular religions. Now, just before the election, this was withdrawn because under the shadow of huge protests by not only civil society people, uh, but also politicians themselves, particularly in the Northeast. So it would not be an easy solution 
to think of uh, naturalization, pathways to naturalization. But of course, India should work on it because India looks itself as another emerging superpower in the Asian century. Uh, then, of course, in people, forget about the irregular migrants, but regular migrants uh, would legitimately like to come and settle down in a country which is prospering. If that happens, those are the people, like Indian citizens, when they go abroad, as you said, you know, India celebrates or like angels, they, they go abroad and, you know, are the model uh, sort of uh, model minorities or of, of migrants in the United States and so on. So if you have similar uh, trend uh, happening in the case of, it is happening in the case of China. China is turning from a, uh, you know, sending country to a receiving country. Very true. Yeah, so you have to have those characteristics. China is, has started giving residency rights. So you begin with residency rights, and then, of course, uh, eventually you also open the gates or provide pathways to citizens. There cannot be two opinions about that. But in terms of implementation, there has to be a will to implement them. And then, of course, the, you know, the mechanisms have to be foolproof so that there are no loopholes in them. That is something which I think, given the you know polity and the society in India, will come, but it will take time. So I, I perfectly agree with you that I mean that's the solution, because you see uh, why migrants uh, take the risks and come through irregular routes, mm -hmm. because the regular routes are not available. Exactly. So that is, I think, a long-term solution. Uh, but in the meantime, there has to be short-term solutions also. And those short-term solutions would have to be, I would say, based on efficiency argument, not welfare argument, but providing welfare benefits to the regular migrants for efficiency reasons, that they would become party to generation of your gross domestic product and the crime rates and uh, the you know incidents of and and people like this for example is is in lots of children are dying in some states today why this is happening i mean this is because these are infectious diseases so infectious diseases need to be controlled you have to con you have to take care cover the entire population irrespective of what tag they wear whether as citizens or immigrants or irregular migrants i would also add and I wonder what you think about this. Um, just focusing again on the stock, especially when you raise the point about geography and how the concentration of Bangladeshi migrants is largely, overwhelmingly, in Assam and West Bengal. Is, and this has been discussed, I believe, with regards to in, in this current government, which is a redistribution policy, perhaps, perhaps coming up with a way to uh, redistribute Bangladeshi migrants proportionally across India. And of course... <laughs> And of course, a way of doing this practically would be to sort of somehow give them a pathway towards identity and so that we can understand who is there and where they're coming from, what are their needs and skills and so on. But this has to be discussed, and this is not that different from what has been tried in, in, and failed in Europe, where they try to redistribute asylum seekers. Yeah. Um, and, and they failed at it because that's just politically not worked out because each country has their own political take on this. And given the, the nature of the Bangladeshi uh, migration issue uh, in West Bengal and Assam. Is this possible? Well, it's happening. Naturally, it is happening. You sure. find Bangladeshi migrants all over the country. Sure. So it's not that they remain localized in one place. 
you know, the problem remains there, as you said, perception. The local population thinks that because the new migrants are coming, old migrants are moving away from those localities because there is not enough livelihood possibility there and there are better options in the rest of the country. So you find, you look at in Delhi itself, look at the uh, household help uh, informal market. Mm -hmm. You have change of identity in terms of adopting local names by maids and others, and they are serving in the households. This, is, this cuts across the entire country. Now, if you want to you know, do it by statute, uh, then actually uh, you are interfering with the natural order. I don't think why it has failed in Europe, it would fail more in India. If you want to put people in camps, how do you allocate them to, to different states? Uh, even the local Indian population is not localized. Uh, how do you localize the immigrant population? I don't think that this is uh, at all practical thing to do. It is, even it sounds weird talking about it, that you can move people just like that, put them in trains and take them to remote corners and give them livelihood. What kind of livelihood are we able to give them? So I don't think that is uh, that, would, that would work. Uh, we need to take lessons from other countries' failures also. I suppose I was, I was thinking more in terms of, instead, not so much a forced China-style huku kind of movement, but more an incentivized form of migration. And, and pardon me if, if this seems a bit far-fetched, but just to think about a solution, especially in the Assam issue, where this, this whole issue of uh, Bangladeshi immigrants is really clouding our perception of migration policy as a whole, where we refuse to acknowledge irregular migration. We, we, you know, we, we go to the global compact of migration discussions and bring that issue up and saying it's not clear. We, we need to be clear about this. And because at the back of the mind, they're thinking Bangladeshi migrants. I'm just wondering if, and I speak from the lens of integration, when, when you ask me how can we make sure that you know they, they are a part of society, I'm thinking of I speak from the lens of regularization policies. And again, maybe I'm taking a European lens on this, but I'm wondering an Indian version of that is possible. And mm -hmm. finally, I, I I'm thinking like a proportional distribution, but using some sort of incentive that if you move here, so many people move here, then you will have possibilities of, of settling in India in a legal and a regular way. There must be some imagination. Just imagine, I'm just trying to sort of throw seeds for imagining a solution of breaking out, breaking the, the stranglehold. What is the expected outcome of that? Well, one is to uh, decrease the pressure and, and, and especially the political sensitivity by just decreasing the number, the stock of Bangladeshi no. migrants in, in, the, in the Northeast. No, I don't think so. It, it is. Why is North so agitated about it? Why? Go back to the history of that. Too much agitated about not only immigrants, it is also agitated about, you know, people from other states coming there. Sure. sure. There has been sporadic incidents of violence and other kinds of aggression on people from other states from time to time. It, it started with uh, anti-Bengali riots in yes. Assam, and then it turned against people from other states, and then there was a backlash in other states also, when people from Assam were attacked, and they, you know, train full of them was was bringing them back to back to Assam. So these kind of things, you know, look at the Myron Weiner's book called Sons of the Soil. Yes. You know, that chauvinism in India, there is a particular reason behind that, and that reason is not with, for numbers. It is because that state, particularly the remote states in India, have been deprived of development. You know, there has been colonization within India by the state, by 
depriving uh, development, even to those states which have large stocks of natural resources. So this is not a question of distributing numbers. It is the question of whether the economy can absorb larger numbers and create situations where you have more tolerance rather than trying to skirt and uh, say that, well, tolerance is not an issue. We will put them into some other regions uh, and then wait until the tolerance runs out there. You know, that I think is the reason why this kind of thing would not be successful at all, to my mind. Just to tie that back to the discussion we had originally about regional actors and non-state actors being involved in these discussions over cross-border migration. What role does the Assamese government and civil society and community groups and the West Bengal, similar groups of West Bengal have, have to play in, in sort of moving forward about the Bangladesh issue? I think awareness has to be created. That is one thing to change the perception because the perception have become polarized. That takes a long time to get undone. That is very, very important. The perceptions are more polarized than the reality. Uh, that can happen uh, over time when you have plenty of resources being given to the state. And if you build good roads, if you give good education, large-scale health facilities, large-scale education facilities, rather than just giving, you know, uh, some lollipops kind of thing of giving employment to, you know, one generation, and uh, allowing some people to take on government contracts or project-oriented tasks or even opening factories and so on, then uh, it does not go very far. Those are definitely necessary tasks that need to be done in the shortest possible run, but at the same time, the long-run projects of education and health are very, very important. Education itself would, uh, would do the kind of tensions that are there between locals and and the immigrants. That is very important. And when they find that there's plenty of resources for them to feed everybody, then that would be the solution. Not in terms of asking people to close their doors and not even try to understand what the problems are. Uh, now, there are other issues. There are cultural issues. There are language issues. So that's where the divide will can be bridged only over the long run. The integration that you talk about is of different kind. As you know, as compared to what it is in Europe or other parts of the world. I mean, and the last question on this, because it's very rare, we have a renowned migration expert from Assam on the podcast. And the question I have is that there seems to be also a diverging perception of the problem itself. At the national discourse, especially with the current government, it's a Hindu-Muslim problem. And that's where the amendment to the Citizen Rights Bill comes into play. But on the ground in Assam, it seems to be more an Assamese Bengali problem. Is this true? Is this discrepancy perception well, true? If you look at, I think, religion-based differences were not very strong in Northeast and Assam. Because there are, there, if you look at the geography and culture and population profile of Northeast, you know, it's a mix of hills and plains tribals and then of course, there are, you know, backward castes and classes and so on. And that is so widespread that it comes from your uh, level of development. It cuts across all religions. It is not based on religion. So if you go back to the, say, Ahom king's reigns in Assam, you'll find that the surnames that were given to the civil and military officials in, the, in those times were 
even with respect to religion. So religion was never an issue in those times in that part of the country because there are multiple cultures there, tribal plains tribals, hills tribals, and then of course, you know, the Hindus, Brahmins were brought from other parts of the country to do the rituals and things like that. Kings and the, and the administrators wanted them to settle down there and practice. So it was a very cohesive society to begin with. The differences that have come up lately are a very recent phenomenon of last 50 years, uh, last 50 to 40 years. If you go to Assam and meet people, you would not be able to know to which religion these people belong to because their culture is the same. Thank you, Dr. Khadriya. Thank you so much for this discussion. Uh, very insightful. I think there's a lot more we can talk about. We can probably do two or three podcasts covering different issues, but thank you. Thank you, Varun. I think it was very, very inspiring to talk to you and it actually helped me think aloud a lot.